0: This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads at our website ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Some people just drift through life and don't think at all. Others try to think carefully about how they live their lives. For example, they try to live by some moral code of good behaviour or wisdom. But how do you arrive at a moral code? You could try to reason it out yourself what you think is good and what you think is bad. You could ask someone else so you consider to be wise. Or you could consult some written book. Some might read the Koran, some might consult astrology, horoscopes, or read the many pearls of wisdom to be found in literature, such as Shakespeare. Today we want to consider a source of wisdom often neglected by people, the Bible. The Bible is a book worth taking notice of. We're going to start in the Old Testament and then come forward to the New in the Old Testament, Israel were ruled by the law of Moses. It was a law ahead of its time. One of the rituals was circumcision of male children. This was done when a baby was eight years old. This involved cutting off the foreskin, which caused bleeding. Now, the clotting agent, vitamin K, is not produced until the fifth to seventh day so the earliest that it is safe to do this is the eighth day. The second element needed for blood clotting is prothrombin. When a baby is three days old this is very low by the eighth day it is ten percent higher than normal and it then settles down to normal both vitamin K and prothrombin, if we look at the two together, the best time for circumcision would be the eighth day. Now look at this in Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17 and verse 12. God made a covenant with Abraham and the sign of that covenant was circumcision and in Genesis chapter 17 verse 12 it says he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you every man child in your generations he that is born in the house with money of any stranger which is not of thy seed eight days old now the question is how did Moses know well this wasn't the time of Moses this was a time of Abraham but, but when the, the law of Moses came along it was the same thing circumcision at the 8th day how did they know that this was the best time to do it without mod, modern medical knowledge well the Bible claims to be uh, a revelation from God and this, the Bible claims that this covenant was made by God with Abraham well God would know When God told him the eighth day, God would know that sort of thing, wouldn't he? Another thing in the law of Moses was obsession with washing or rinsing. Washing was done all the time. And if we turn to Leviticus chapter 15, you'll see an example of what I mean. Leviticus chapter 15 And verse 11. It says, Whomsoever he be that toucheth that hath the issue, an issue is uh, the emission of body fluids, which can often be infected and the the touching of an an issue can be problematical it says whosoever he be that toucheth that hath the issue that hath not rinsed his hands in water he shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the even but it goes on and tells you even more than that it says and the vessel of earth that he toucheth which hath the issue shall be broken And every vessel of wood shall be rinsed with water. Now why is it, if it's a vessel of earth, it has to be broken. But a vessel of wood can be rinsed with water and reused. Well, in the time when that law was given, nobody would know why. Because they had no idea about medical science. But we now know that infections can be spread from one person to another by bodily fluids such as an issue and anyone who touches an issue then goes and touches someone else they can convey, convey that affection to somebody else now it wasn't until the 19th century with modern medical knowledge that they realized the significance for example if a doctor touched a dead body he needed to wash his hands before he then went to touch the living patient and incredible as it might seem they weren't aware of any of this, and there were a lot of unnecessary deaths in hospitals through disease, which could easily have been avoided if only they'd done what it said in the law of Moses. After anyone touched anything like this, they rinse, they wash themselves, and the clothes in water. Uh, so they're completely. These days, you're going to hospital, and there's, a, there's one of these things. Put soap on your hands, isn't there, when you go in. So it's been the same thing when you do the same thing again when you come out, very often, to to try to prevent uh, infections spreading from one one person to another. But what about the barrel of wood and what about the uh, earthen vessel? Well, again, we now know that earthen vessels harbour bacteria much more than wood does. Well, we know that, but how did they know? I would suggest they didn't know. This was a command that came from God which they obeyed. But look at the wisdom in the the law of Moses. And the more you study it, the more you see great wisdom in it. Another example in the law of Moses of wisdom is care for the environment. We've looked there about hygiene. What about care of the environment? Deuteronomy 20 and verse 19. Deuteronomy 20 verse 19 When thou shalt besiege a city a long time In making war against it to take it Thou shalt not destroy the trees thereof By forcing an axe against them For thou mayest eat of them Thou shalt not cut them down For the tree of the field is man's life To employ them in the shield Now here we see care for the environment. And this sort of thing is coming in more today... As we see men doing much more destruction... To the natural environment. We're having to try to care for the environment... In all sorts of ways. And yet here we are... The law of Moses was given... What, 1500 years before the time of Christ... And yet he's got all this within it. So when we start reading the Bible... The first few books we come to the law of Moses... And there's a great deal of wisdom. Coming further forward in the Old Testament. Another ancient book with a lot of wisdom in. Is the book of Job. Job had lost all his wealth. And he's sad. And he's, he's diseased. And he ponders his question as to as to why these things have happened to him. Because we know. Because we've read the book. And we've read the prologue to the book. But Job hadn't read the prologue so he didn't know that somebody was querying his his genuineness and God was not going to allow allow him to test him but he didn't know that he was being tested and so he couldn't understand why this is all happening now amongst the things that Job says and he ponders lots of wisdom in his book um, in chapter 28 he actually talks about wisdom This is like an interlude between all the speeches of Job and the speeches of his friends. There's a little interlude here where he he does a hymn to wisdom. And he says in verse 1, he says, Surely there is a vein for the silver, and a place for gold where they find it. Iron is taken out of the earth, and brass is molten out of stone. But he then goes on... um, man is very clever he says at finding these things out the ground we are aren't we very clever at finding out where there's coal or where there's iron ore or whatever and we find where it is and we dig it out but then he says in verse 7 there is a path which no fowl knoweth and which the vulture's eye hath not seen now we know about the eagle and its very good eyesight how from very very high up he can see the prey and swoop down on it but he, the eagle can't tell you where iron ore is buried It can't tell you where the, where the silver in the ground that's what he's saying that man can do this sort of thing but the bird can't do it now man is not so good at finding wisdom he says in verse 12 he's very good at finding stuff at the ground and he's better than a bird is but he's no good at finding wisdom he says verse 12 but where can wisdom be found where is the place of understanding man knoweth not the price thereof neither is it found in the land of the living and you can't just go out and buy wisdom can you (laughs) you can't say some wisdom please it says in verse 15 it cannot be gotten for gold neither shall silver be weighed for the price thereof so where does wisdom come from? He comes to the conclusion. That he comes from God. In verse 28. But unto man he said. Behold the fear of the Lord. That is wisdom. And to depart from evil. That is understanding. Well look how clever men are today. With the internet. And robots. And yet are they any better. At the fear of God. No, far, the reverse. Uh, there isn't the fear of the Lord generally in the earth today. He says, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And everybody I know will admit that with all our modern technology, it's a worse problem today bringing up children than it's ever been. And you'd think, wouldn't you, with all this technology, it might actually be easier. In fact, it's made things a lot harder. So that's the time of Job. I want to move on now to the time of King Solomon Well you'll have guessed from the reading that I'm going to do that And if you come up to the book of Ecclesiastes um, You've got uh, uh, a book here written by King Solomon in Ecclesiastes And I want to start at chapter 12 i starting at the end starting at the end which might seem strange but it's at the end of the book that he comes to his conclusions well in industry you're often given uh, a a report to write, you do an investigation you collect all your information and when you've got your information together you do a report and you do your summary and you do your conclusions and this is more or less what the book of Ecclesiastes is a report on a royal experiment King um, Solomon did an experiment he tried all the pleasures the world could offer him Uh, our president read it for us he says I withheld nothing that my eye beheld that I fancied and and that that includes women as well and gold and silver and uh, he had gardens and animals and uh, he even wrote about these things as well he was a naturalist he studied the, the, the natural world and wrote about it. And he did all this and he wrote a report at the end. Saying what have I gained by trying all these pleasures the world can offer. And he said, we, we had it read for us. He said it was vanity. That he, he had to come to the conclusion that he was all vanity or nothingness. And in chapter 12 he says. Verse 1. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. It's the same advice. That Job gave. Where's wisdom to be found? Wisdom is the fear of the Lord. He's giving you the same advice. Remember now thy creator. In the days of thy youth. While the evil days come. Not nor the years draw nigh. When thou shalt say. I have no pleasure in them. Now you talk to people. About the Bible. Have you ever sat down. And read the Bible. Oh well I'm busy. With all my studies. I've got my A levels to do. Got my A levels to do. Then I've got my degree to do and I'm busy with my career and, and then the next thing you know they're getting engaged, they're getting married oh I'm involved with buying a house and all this and then they're involved with children or maybe when the children are grown up when the children are older maybe when the children have got married and left home and they've just put it off and put it off and before you know where you are they're old themselves and they never got round to it the life has passed them by and they've not done it well the best advice you could possibly have is to remember your creation in the days of your, of your youth and believe me and I speak for personal experience as a very busy person you can always find time to fit it in <laughs> it's, it's a myth to say I haven't got time to read the Bible you could always fit it in before the evil days come and the years draw nigh will thou to say I have no pleasure in them there'll come a time in your life when you won't be able to do it you'll be too old to do it so you need to do it while you're young Now, when Solomon was young he was asked by God what do you want if king of Israel king of, from the Bible point of view king of the greatest nation the world ever seen the nation of Israel because they were God's chosen nation not the biggest in number not over the biggest continent in the earth or anything like that it was a small small area not much bigger than Wales that it reigned over But that's not the point. The point is it was was God's chosen people. And then God says, what do you want? And he says, wisdom. Well, I always think when I read that he took some wisdom to ask for wisdom. He must have had some wisdom in the first place. Because think of all the things he could have asked for. And uh, instead of that he asked for wisdom. Well, we've got this subject given us for today. The Bible, a book full of wisdom. But what is wisdom? It would be worth looking at what wisdom is. Well, one dictionary definition I got is <coughs> Wisdom is the power of true and right discernment and conformity to the course of action dictated by discernment. Now, there are two parts to this. The first part is the power to know what is right, the second is the power to do what is right. Now this automatically divides everybody, you and me, all of us, into three categories. Which category are we in? There's a category of those who know what is right and do it. These are the whys. Then there are those who know what is right and don't do it. That's the second category. And the third category are those who don't even know what's right and the third category he calls the fools so he talks about the wise and he talks about the fools and I'll leave you to think about which of those three categories more people are in those who know what's right and do it the second category those who know what's right and don't do it and the third category those who don't even know what's right which do you think is the majority. Which category do you think you're in? Or sometimes in? You might find I'm sometimes in one and sometimes I'm in the other. So Solomon conducted a royal experiment, including wine, getting drunk, everything you could think of. What is it that people say in it? Why, why do people get drunk? And he tried everything and he decided that he was all vanity now I'm going to go back to the beginning of the book and read you a little bit from the beginning of the book that, that he, he said one of the conclusions that he comes to in his royal report Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 16 um, he says I communed with mine own heart saying lo I am come to great estate And have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart hath great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. So I even dabbled in humor and jokes. To see what it is that people enjoyed about that. I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit. Now look at this conclusion here and think about it a minute. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increases knowledge increases sorrow. Well, is that something you'd say to your young teenager who's going off to university to read a degree? And he's going to spend every night nearly for the next three years swatting away reading some subject for a degree. He that increases knowledge increases sorrow. Are you going to say that about your university professor? He that increases knowledge increases sorrow. This is something that's not immediately obvious, is it, this phrase, what he writes here? And when we first read it, we're sometimes puzzled and think, well, why does he put that? Well, I've sat and thought about it, and I'll tell you what I've come up with. First there's the effort to gain the knowledge, which is nothing but hard work, isn't it? Anyone who's tried to read a subject would tell you how hard work it is trying to remember it all. But then there's the problem of mistaking error for truth. Is your theory right, for example? Is the latest theory the right theory? This perplexes you with doubts of which the ignorant are free. And then when you have the knowledge, there seems to be more now that you don't know than you knew in the first place. There are more unanswered questions now than you had when you started. Every question you answer yields more questions to ask. And every one of those you answer more questions to ask. And so it goes on and on ad infinitum. Then your knowledge makes you unhappy because you're more aware now than when you started of the plight of the world and your knowledge can't find an answer to it you can't solve the world's problems and then you know one day you're going to die and all this knowledge spent all this time getting and gaining is going to go and that's one of the great sad things isn't it there are people who've spent their lives studying the Bible and a tremendous lot about the Bible and when they die that knowledge is all gone it's not just that it's just brilliant artists brilliant composers whatever area you think of when they die it's gone so there's quite a lot to think about there one scientist is supposed to have said "The study in science is like a child playing with pebbles at the seashore just playing with these few pebbles while out beyond him is a whole ocean totally unexplored I'm not sure whether any scientist actually said that he's supposed to have done whether anyone actually said it or not it's worth thinking about and what was the conclusion from the royal experiment then all is vanity and his advice to you and me is remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth What's so good about remembering your Creator? What's so good about that? It gives life a purpose. It makes you realize that you're here for a reason. You're not just here as a product of chance. You're here for a reason. You're the, the subject of a creative mind. Do it while you can, don't put it off till it's too late. Now the book of the Old Testament describes Solomon as the wisest man who ever lived. And we won't turn to it but one day the Queen of Sheba came to see him. She was a queen of a neighbouring kingdom and she had heard about him. His wisdom and she would heard about his wealth and his wonderful palace and his gardens and she went to come and see it. And you know when people talk about this or that they exaggerate. You you are told about how brilliant a concert was or how brilliant a garden is. How people exaggerate. When she came to see it, she says, Not half was told me. You couldn't exaggerate with, with what Solomon had done. You couldn't no way could you exaggerate because it was that good. Now you see what Jesus says in Matthew chapter twelve, verse forty two. We're going to come to the New Testament now. Jesus is is condemning some people of his own day. Because their lack of belief. Miracles of his had been done and, and they didn't believe in him. And in Matthew chapter 12 verse 42 it says... The queen of the south, which is the queen of Sheba, shall rise up in the judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it. If queen of Sheba was alive today, she condemn all of you. He says. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. <coughs> she says not half was told me. And what are you saying? Not impressed. she will rise up in judgment with this generation so Jesus is greater than Solomon and we've seen how wise he is and we won't turn to it but in Hebrews chapter 3 it talks about Jesus being greater than Moses now we've looked at Moses we've seen how wise the law of Moses is knowing about hygiene and washing and so on long before his time. And care for the environment, and yet we're told Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus himself says he's greater than Solomon, and we've seen how wise he is. So if he's greater than Solomon and greater than Moses, how great must he be? Well, we're going to look at a little bit of the wisdom of Jesus Christ, and we're going to start in Matthew chapter seven. It's a well-known story and we've all heard it many times it's worth having another look at it Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24 one of Jesus' many parables he used to teach through parables because it's often a very good way of getting a point across he says whoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them will I liken him unto a wise man Is that word wise wise man built his house upon a rock and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not for it was founded upon a rock for everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man remember our definition of wisdom a wise man is someone who knows what's right and does it but then there's a second category those who know what's right and don't do it now Jesus is talking about that second category everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house on the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and blew upon that house and it fell and great was the fall thereof so he says basing your life we've talked at the very beginning about do we just drift through life or we base our life on some moral code we talked about that Jesus says, "Whoever bases his life on my teaching is building his house on a rock." But even if you go as far as listening to his teaching, but you don't do it, then you built your house on the sand. Well, I asked an architect, "Can you build me a house on sand?" And he says, "Yes, I can build a house on sand." I thought, "Oh dear, he's going to disagree with the Bible." that's what I thought at first but he hadn't finished talking had he he says yes I can build a house on sand he says but when the rain comes if it's heavy rain it super saturates and sand becomes like a liquid and the house will just sink into the sand Uh, so he does agree with the Bible good so Jesus isn't trying to teach us to be architects but he's trying to teach us a simple principle for our lives. And I actually know someone who tried that. He actually got this huge trough full of sand and he got this wooden house like a doll's house and put it on it. On comes the hose, fill it full of water and nothing happened at first and I thought this isn't gonna succeed and sure enough in time house started to sink but it took a bit of time and for his sake I was hoping it would be a success this parable has a great spiritual meaning he's saying if we base our life on man's ideas it's like building on the sand if you base it on, on his ideas you're building on a rock and then when the rain comes the one that's on the rock is okay. The one on the sand that not And Jesus doesn't say if the rain comes. He doesn't say if it comes. When it comes. When there are difficulties and problems. Will there be difficulties and problems? Of course there will be difficulties and problems. And when there are. The house on the sand won't be able to stand up to it. Now Jesus Christ describes. There was a rock in the Bible. it's, it's a rock in places. We should base our wisdom on him. And then we can encounter some of the storms of life. Now staying in chapter 7 of Matthew. Let's go back to verse 12. Verse 12 of that chapter. Now here's a pearl of wisdom that was queried. Jesus says. All things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you. Do ye even to them? That's a great pearl of wisdom, isn't it? Now, there's nothing quite like that in the law of Moses. There's lots of things in the law of Moses about love your neighbour and do good to your neighbour and all this sort of thing, but to equate it just exactly like that—do to them as you would they were doing to you—nothing quite like that in the Old Testament, and nothing like that in any of the Jewish writings either plenty of Jewish writings on moral codes but you won't find anything not exactly that now the humanist comes along and he queries it and he says oh I can go better than that I say do unto others as they would be done unto now when you first beat that you think hmm that sounds alright but when you start thinking about it a bit more which is better? Doing to someone as they would be done unto, or doing to them as as you would they would do unto you. Well it's no humanist advice is no good for children for a start, because children are asking for things that are bad for them. It wouldn't be any good with someone who didn't know what was good for them, would it? We need to think what is wise to do. We come back to that word wise again we need to think what is wise to do and not everyone knows what's best for themselves they don't do they we all know that I'm sure every one of you in this room met that people don't always know what's best for themselves so if you do for them what they want that's not the best thing but you look at Christ's advice again do to them as you would they would do unto you give and take isn't it what Jesus is trying to encourage with this piece of advice is a relationship between people. That you're doing things for them, they're doing things for you. He wants us to have a two-way relationship with people. And we do this when we remember Jesus in the bread and the wine. You receive the bread off the person next to you and then you pass it to the, to the next person. So you receive it and you pass it, you receive it, pass it. So it's the same thing again Jesus is getting us to do when we remember him what he wants us to do all week he wants us to be doing things for each other and others to be doing things for us and he wants it to be done in the right way now one of the big problems today is loneliness I think you could say that there's never been so much loneliness more people living on their own now Uh, singles I call them Uh, men and women who who live on their own rather than getting getting married there's more of it and uh, and there's more elderly people living on their own than ever And, and this is one of the problems now if we do things for each other it helps to alleviate that problem doesn't it now Jesus talks about that problem as well in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 29 Jesus deals with that problem as well He knows that sometimes if you decide to follow the Lord jesus christ you you sometimes find alienation from your family and you, you sometimes find sometimes that they, on extreme cases they won 't speak to you. I know this is very extreme and it doesn 't happen very often um, but that's the problem that, that Jesus faces up to he says everyone that has forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and inherit eternal life in place of the, of the friends you used to have with whom you now you now maybe find you don't feel like keeping company with them because they don't follow the life of wisdom and if that's the case instead you've got your brethren and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ so for everyone who's given anything like that up you've got a hundredfold more but Jesus doesn't just solve the problem of this life and help to solve the problem of loneliness he says you will inherit eternal life so he's solving the problem of the next life as well now wisdom that leads to eternal life must be good Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What does he mean by the way? That's the root. A road. It's a means. He's the way to God, isn't he? The way to God. He's through Jesus. He's the way. Then he's the truth. And we are today, there's no such thing as absolute truth. Truth is all relative. This is what we're told today. Jesus is talking about an absolute unchanging truth. Truth is absolute. The way we perceive it is different. We perceive it differently because of our own experiences with the truth itself never changes. And the life. And when Jesus talks about I am the life he's not talking about an extension of this life And it's too easy to go down that road of Tending to think, oh it's this life going on and on and on He's talking about eternal life Which is a quality of life, it's a different kind of life I am the way, the truth and the life And Jesus is the only way He's the only one who can give us life And when we get to know Jesus we can get to know God He that hath seen me hath seen the Father So, the nearest way we can get to seeing God is seeing Jesus. So, the Bible is full of wisdom from beginning to end. The choice is ours. Do we want to drift through life and not think? Do we want to just muddle through life with some human moral code? Or do we want to try finding out about Jesus and learn wisdom? which is more likely to give us a rewarding life with a good prospect at the end. And I want to ask you, if you've not done so, to consider becoming a disciple of Jesus and sharing in his wisdom and to that end start reading the Bible a bit every day in order to learn this wisdom. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website. Ormskirk Christadelphians.org.uk